and welcome to another episode of Tales from a Vet Tech with me, Tabitha Kusera. Today, a week late, but we're here, everybody, uh, with part two of FIP with the amazing Dr. Sarah Jones. And we're going to talk about some ways to support caregivers, caregivers who are out there dealing with this, some mental health support tips. But then also we're going to talk a little bit about how we can make administering FIP treatments less stressful. So thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me. We had so much fun last time. So I know I'm like, we were just talking about fun webinars and workshops that that these casual podcast conversations have inspired. So this is why it's great to collab and talk to other people. And also, obviously, Sarah is a friend and I love her, but still. Um, so definitely listen to the first episode where we talk all about what FIP is, why diagnosis is challenging and more. But segue, <laughs> everyone, I spoke at WVC. I'm at another conference tomorrow. I'm out here doing it. I'm in the Eastern time zone now. Be patient. Um, so to start, I wanted to ask, can you provide some tips for caregivers on how to monitor their cat's progress during treatment for FIP? How to, how to be able to tell this is helping, this isn't worsening, when should I contact a veterinary professional? I understand not all veterinary professionals are as comfortable with FIP treatment, but what do you recommend as a vet that does commonly work with caregivers and treat FIP? And so it really largely depends on their form of FIP and kind of what they're originally diagnosed with. So if they have wet FIP or effusive FIP, um, obviously we tell owners watch for resolution of their clinical signs to begin with. You know, the fluid should resolve, their appetite should improve, their fever should subside. Um, if they have neurological FIP, we tell owners, you know, their balance should get better, their seizures sh should resolve, their appetite, XYZ, all that should get better. Ocular FIP, we say that their, you know, uveitis should resolve. But the big thing to watch for is reemergence of their original clinical signs or reemergence of a different type of FIP. And so maybe you had a cat that had a belly full of fluid it started to resolve, it started to get better, and now they're stumbling when they walk. So that would be a sign that not only is their FIP kind of coming out of remission, but it might be because they're developing a worse form or a, you know, more challenging form to, to treat. Yeah. And I think with the neurologic FIP, I have a, I actually have a client right now who is treating her cat and we're working together to make it less stressful, but I haven't worked with as many clients with cats with the neurologic FIP and her cat was showing more subtle signs because we obviously have that ataxia, that stumbly gait, but maybe a good tip for everyone, especially if those happen to be the symptoms is taking a video of your cat walking, playing the first day of treatment, and then maybe a weekend, two weeks, because her, her cat was having very subtle facial twitches. Yeah. 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 Like things that I completely would understand that a caregiver may not recognize like so right. subtle. So that's where I think 
taking videos can be really helpful also for you to see and share with right with the group that may be helping you or with veterinary professionals that may be helping you. I love videos. They're the best. Yeah, they're, they're very helpful. You know, when they initially developed the treatment protocol at UC Davis, they did it as a, you know, 12 week treatment and every four weeks they recommend blood work. And, you know, some, some owners, it's just not financially feasible, you know, because a lot of times it doesn't, always change what you're going to do. But, you know, if money's not an option every four weeks, seeing your, your vet for blood work, biggest thing you'll see with a lot of forms of FIP, but not always is like hyperglobulinemia. Those globulins are going to be high. So we watch for those to resolve. We watch for the AG ratio, the albumin globulin ratio to kind of go back up. Um, and then we watch for the hyperbilirubinemia or the total T-billy, if that's high, we watch for that to go back down. So those are some of the things we we look for is not just clinical resolution, but is their blood work improving too? And that's usually a sign when the admins who they're working with via Facebook or what have you will tell owners, okay, it's moving in the right direction. We can go into the 12 weeks of monitoring. Right. They also recommend, you know, every four week blood work during that time as well. Yeah, I completely understand that. Understanding, seeing those clinical symptoms, but also understanding what's going on inside. And although it may not be financial, financially feasible for every caregiver in an ideal world, that would be something as a way to monitor. That's yes. not only helpful yeah. for because also it can, we're going to talk more about that later, but you could, you could feel really helpless when you're treating your cat with this. So understandably, I'm a behavior nerd and a vet tech, but I like clear criteria and data. It helps me handle yes. challenging, challenging situations like that a little bit better, understanding the whys and how the animal is progressing based, not just based on my observations, which are helpful, but others too. So that's a really good point. Yeah. And I think owners feel good with plans. I know I'm a plan. Oh, yes. I love a plan. If I have a plan and a plan for what to look for when things go wrong, it really helps with, you know, some of the anxiety. And I think for veterinary professionals or even animal welfare professionals who are out there possibly helping caregivers through this or veterinarians that are actively treating it, I think a wonderful way to support them, like Sarah just mentioned, is to provide that clear criteria. Just like any disease process, when we are first talking to a caregiver, we explain ABC. Because it's it's a bummer, but it's also why we love medicine, because every animal is an individual and just say, this is what treatment's going to look like. This is how we, like you mentioned, these are the symptoms you may know or not know, but let us know. And this is our plan forward to monitor how your cat is doing with this drug and if they're improving and if they're still symptomatic, how can we help manage those symptoms? So again, you're kind of, although they're probably overwhelmed. And possibly over thresholds, uh, which is something I started realizing when I got more into behavior. I was like, I never say clients aren't compliant anymore. And it hurts my heart that I used to say that because now that I know more about communication, if you're telling a client something challenging, they're going to be over thresholds, uh, understandably. Uh, sure. And then yeah. it, it's hard to think or focus, which is why we still want to discuss that plan with them. But also, I think writing it out. Yes, absolutely. Written discharges. is life-changing. And this can be for, for someone that's helping to manage or treat these patients. You can have a template 
and just because I understand we <laughs> all are out here. Do, I know, right? Uh, and you yes. could just edit and provide that because again, either way that caregiver has it and then it's a data point of reference. So as you're working together, you can go back to it. It's just, we all love structure. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because that is such a wonderful tip for, for or even for caregivers out there. If you are working with someone, ask for that because we all like to know for example, my sister, her dog recently, this isn't um, FIP, but her dog, of course, had the rarest form of cancer and she had to go to five specialists. He's doing great. Uh, he's, do he's doing great. He's doing great. But the oncologist was fucking amazing. Like, it makes me want to cry. I'm tired. So I'm easily going to cry. <laughs> so context, everyone. Uh, I'm very tired. Um, but she he provided plan ABC. Nice. That's all he did. Well, from my perspective, right? I feel like we do that. But it my sister is dealing with a really challenging situation. And her her dog is he he got his leg amputated. He's doing amazing considering mm. everything. Yay. But I was just talking to her today about her other dog, um, life. Uh mm. her other dog, and she mentioned how much that meant to her. And that was like a year ago. Wow. And and I know. For, my, for myself, but also for my clients, mm -hmm. providing clear criteria and what to look for. Like, this may happen. Just let me know. This may not happen. Well, I'm like, whether behavior, medical symptoms. So wonderful tips that we can all start to do or how you can help advocate for your FIP cats too. Um, so obviously there's quite a few, I'm sure, Sarah, but I'll just ask you for <laughs> uh, some comments. So what are some common challenges caregivers face when administering treatment for FIP and I know we're going to talk about together how to overcome them a bit. But in your experience, what are some of the most common challenges? And I know you mentioned that awesome research, which go to the first episode and check those resources. They're all amazing. The Sarah, Sarah was kind enough to find them and share them and also contribute to many of those, which is amazing. So I think it I think it goes back to it's difficult and challenging to medicate cats to begin with. I mean, that stinks. And then you tell an owner, and I think we talked about this in the first episode, but for those of your listeners who didn't hear this before, the injections are either, you know, daily or twice daily to start with, um, or we can do pills, you know, daily, but, you know, pills are going to be more money. So a lot of people choose to go with the injections. And, you know, when we're starting treatment just due to concern over lack of GI absorption, you know, it's always recommended the first week to 10 days that we also start with injections. And so the injections to keep the product stable are very, very acidic. The pH of those products is between 1.4 and 1.6. So burn like a bitch, everybody. Yeah, like basically injecting battery acid. Under In Tabitha talk. <laughs> Yes. And they, um, it's not a small volume either, you know, right. it's usually, it's, it's not like insulin. It's usually a, a pretty, you know, one CC, one and a half CC. Yep. Every 24 hours, the cat knows it's coming you think serenia burns, right? Like yeah. this is like scorching, um, cats will develop like ulcers at the site of injection. Um, you know, there is a report out there it happened with kitten ladies cat you know, getting an injection site sarcoma secondary to these injections. Um, and so they burn. And so helping 
caregivers learn to give an injection, as well as trying to tell them, you know, calm them down and calm the cat down. You're going to do this every day. The cat's going to anticipate it. It's going to burn. You're going to be scared. The cat's going to be scared. And and it can be challenging. It can it can be really challenging, especially when their cat's sick and they don't want to be putting it through something. Right. So, you know, I, I think the best thing I can do as a veterinarian, because I can't administer the injection, I can't right. even medication due to its, you know, unlicensed status is just try and, you know, give medications to help calm the cat. I, you know, had an FIP cat today and, you know, was talking to his caregiver and sent home gabapentin saying it might be helpful to give this two hours prior to when you need to give the injections. Yeah. And that's a, a really great point because I, I love the use of a as needed PRN medication that can help reduce anxiety um, associated, especially because gabapentin and pregabalin are two medications that are commonly used as pre-visit pharmaceuticals. And what those are, are prior to a stressful situation, which tend to be vet visits, hence pre-visit pharmaceuticals. We give those to the cat along with, right, gentle control, touch great, all the stuff we're about to talk about. Um, and and I I did have a few patients who reached out for help and obviously their cats were at, on it. Yeah. So I said in in the moment, the great news is there is a lot of things you can do right now in the moment to decrease the stress associated with these injections. Um, but one of the things, one of the things that we did was we started gabapentin prior, a higher dose prior to working. I worked with her vet. Um, she actually worked at a college. So thankfully this she was also a technician, so she had a lot of people in her, her and her cat's corner. Um, but we started that because although we were going to make each injection less and less stressful, mm-hmm. we're we're doing our best, and we didn't do it throughout each every the whole process. But I think starting with that was so helpful. And in some contexts, you may do that throughout the whole process. Um, I'm a big fan of anti anxiety meds, and I also think. Your first tip, just generally, if you are a caregiver, I can't express this enough. If you are a caregiver or someone that is helping with an animal that has FIP or a caregiver with FIP, please give that caregiver a syringe. Have them practice pulling Mm -hmm. something up. Have them practice giving an injection to a stuffed animal. Have them practice giving every injection to their cat. Because again, I, I may have mentioned this in another podcast episode because you just learn so much. And as someone that mostly deals with handling when animals have trauma, um, it's been mind-blowing things that I used to just never think about that would have set everyone up for success. Yeah. So, And in animal welfare, a lot of people aren't shown even how to hold a syringe and then are told to draw blood. Wow. You know what I mean? And these amazing animal welfare professionals don't... I remember we were talking about like handling techniques. Mm-hmm. And then I happened to mention the syringe and they're like, oh, no one's ever showed me how to hold the syringe. And I'm like, no wonder this is so challenging for you, friends. Uh, because using a syringe is a tool. And as techs, yeah. we're skilled with those. But then you're asking them, like when I would do a cat was, you did this too, right? A cat was diagnosed with uh, diabetes and we yeah. would show <laughs> the, the caregiver how to give insulin, which I thought was really helpful. And I'm not saying that it wasn't helpful when I was doing it, but now that I have learned a lot more, the fact that I showed them once mm-hmm. kind of bothers me a little. Um, 
<laughs> uh, because an insulin, as Sarah mentioned, these are very, very small needles mm-hmm. and we're giving very, very small amounts. But also, I always think of my partner who's amazing and my cats are cooperatively care trained, which means they they choose to go to a station for meds and they have a positive conditional motion response to that. And they actively just happily lean into their injection. <laughs> um, yeah. And my my partner is still like, babe, because I travel a lot for work. And he's like, babe, I don't know if I could ever like. Uh. <laughs> and that gave me a lot of perspective because we're giving them this needle, the syringe, and we're not showing them how to use it without a cat. And then we're asking them to use it on a their cat. Yeah. So a live animal that is most likely not feeling well. Right. And also we're giving a large amount Mm -hmm. and just showing them how to use a syringe. And I mean, what I mean by showing them is more than one time. Mm -hmm. And that can look a lot of different ways. You can send a syringe home and say, I just want you to pull back this plunger while you're watching TV. Um, Here are like, I'm a big fan of videos. So I create tons of videos with different cats um, giving injections and showing because they're going to learn through that. And they're like 50 second videos. I keep them short because I understand that's how we learn. Um, but that alone will, and that caregiver will be so much more confident giving that injection and way less unsure and conflicted. Yeah. I mean, many veterans for you. What'd you say? I said, I have a question for you. Oh no. Oh gosh. Because you know, it just brought up a great point. Um, I, I send these cats home and I tell them you're going to start medication tonight. You're going to start it within the next 24 hours. Yes. They don't have time to positively condition their cats. What do you recommend for that? Right. Like, it's it's going to be right out the door. Here's a scorching, you know, battery acid under a skin. Yeah. So what right. I right. would recommend, I would still recommend, even though the caregiver has to give the injection that day, I would still recommend practicing with the syringe mm-hmm. in their off time. Yes. Yeah. Cuz can I just say I'm not going to teach you this skill go or can I say it's going to be a little messy at first you're doing your best but we're going to work on improving that skill? Hell yes. But also there are so many things that we can do in the moment to make things less stressful. I mean that I I say that commonly, right? Like fear-free and feline friendly handling. I work with animals, most of them. I only work with them. I just met them. And their care looks very different because I'm tailoring my handling individualized to that patient. So just a few things you can do right off the bat today if you have a cat and you have to give an injection. Um, I think there's just little things and all these little things add up. So a few things would be have everything ready prior to starting. I know it sounds like an easy thing, but we're tired. I remember as a tech, I would go in the room. (laughs) <laughs> and forget everything and then leave the room and reset the whole cat because I walked in and out. Yeah. So and then also you're more likely because what if you're starting to handle your cat and you may not be as familiar with handling techniques. So handling may look not fun for either of you, yeah. but you're doing your best. And then you're like, shit, I don't have <laughs> um, I don't have the injection. So I think having everything ready, which is essentially the injection. I am a big proponent of changing needles um, because. There is a, a, if you just Google it, or I might even put it in the notes, there's a really simple photo of uh, a needle under a microscope when it's punctured one thing. And by one thing, I'm not meaning an animal. It could also be 
Yes, a stopper. Um, They show how it looks after one, after two, and after five. Always change your needle. Always change. So, and I'll be honest, I had a vaccinated cat without changing the needle like three years ago because I've been doing these things for so long at this point. And uh, I never, I always draw up and change those needles. Yeah. Yes. And I had to, because I was at an animal welfare, uh, like gala. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I was not supposed to be working. (laughs) And they're like, and again, I still utilize all these other techniques I'm going to talk about, but I remember, and the cat did very well, but I remember how it felt to me. Uh, Like it was like, like you can feel it's like legit. Yeah, um, like you're ripping through like the muscle fascia. I feel uh, so again. Simple thing: have everything ready ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Drop the injection. Change the needle to a fresh, beautiful needle. And also, when I say have everything ahead of time, that might be a non-slip surface, like a yoga mat, or I like bath mats from like Target. They're really good sizes. That mm-hmm. may be um, different reinforcers or rewards, like treats, uh, toys, things like that. So you're gonna have everything ready. You're going to allow the animal to maintain their chosen position. This is a huge one. Um, I can't begin to tell you, and I'm sure you have seen this, Sarah, too, yeah, because we we point. both taught handling it. So, <laughs> oh, my God, I forgot. I've learned yeah. so much since then, but we Same. still knew a lot Same. then. We knew we at least weren't doing the things we were taught at that point even. Yes, go us. Um, I mean, in school and tech school because woo. Um, but again, we're not taught as technicians to allow animals to maintain their chosen position um we're all about like flipping them like scruffing stretching especially poor cats they're not taffy fun fact um so (laughs) when you allow cats to just maintain their chosen position which is usually a sit or standing up they do so much better because what we do is i understand and again you are also an amazing caregiver that maybe is not a veterinary professional and Handling is challenging and you go on the internet, which is awesome. And people look up these kitty burritos, which towel handling is a skill and there's a lot of skill that goes into it. And these tight towel wraps are actually not advised because that's a lot of force. But again, that's what amazing people are trying to find help. And that's what's out there a lot, which is why I have so many videos that you can find on my social media about a variety of ways to do it that does not look like that. So, for example, you may have the cat standing up while you give the injection or sitting. And I'm not saying you may not use a towel. I would probably have used a towel in a different way. Um, Sometimes if the cat is exhibiting signs of fear and stress, like multiple, cats hide as a natural coping mechanism. So you will you can gently place that towel over that cat. That's not necessarily a wrap. I'm not a big fan of those true wraps because we literally think of those tight burritos and those are not helpful. The poor cats are just trying to move and get away. Um, or if we're sitting them like on their butts or we're flipping them on their backs, when you just let them remain their chosen position, they do a lot better. But if you do want to utilize a towel, because that is indicated sometimes at first, either just tossing a towel to minimize visual stimuli and have a small amount of using it for a little bit of stability, along with placing your hands appropriately and things like that. But also you can do the bib technique, which, you know, Sarah, um, you aren't seeing her beautiful face nod um, where you essentially take a towel that is appropriately sized. We've all been in vet, med and animal welfare. Towels are handling tools and you get this like stringy, holy. Yes. Uh, 
like super thin. So it's a, a larger, comfortable towel. And again, a small tip I have for my caregivers, I'm like, take it right out of the dryer. Oh, I like it. Um, or in vet clinics and animal welfare, I recommend towel dry or towel warmers. It's like 50 bucks. Game changer. Uh, cause cat, like I've had cats FAS go from four, which is a scoring scale to one with just this tip. So for like you place it over them like a bib and then you hold it, not scruffing the cat. But a lot of us, that's the only technique we've been taught or know. And we know a lot now about scruffing that it actually escalates fear and stress. It actually puts the cats and at us in more uncomfortable and unsafe situations. So it's also helpful if that's the technique you're familiar with, because it also takes you time to learn new skills, of course. So you can place the bib over the cat loosely and hold it again, not grabbing the cat's skin. And then you have and place your hands on the shoulders and chest with their back end kind of towards your belly. So you have essentially and I'll share some photos, but you essentially have control forward, backward sides versus scruffing, which you honestly have no control. And that cat is more likely to escalate. And again, we want to do our best to reduce fear and stress. So also when touching, again, there's so many things we could do in the moment, no matter what. Um, We want to start with the least sensitive area. And once you've made contact, kind of gliding your hand from one body part to the next. So what I mean by that, it's called a touch gradient. I have a whole fear-free real series on my Instagram that goes even more into detail about all of these tips. So please check them out. But essentially, instead of what we used to do where I would touch the cat where their injection is going to be given, give injection, move my hands. Very sporadic touching. I would start at a less stressful spot, which for most cats is head, shoulders, and neck. Place my hand there, glide it to the shoulder, then maybe gently touch the skin a bit, then maybe gently pinch the skin, give the injection, rub the skin, rub the area, done. And it still only takes three to four seconds, but it's a lot less startling for the cat. Um, So that's another thing that we can do. And then also, of course, pairing it with something the animal enjoys from the start, which can be challenging, but ideally we're going to use a licky mat or uh, a few, and we're going to change it up. We're not going to always use the same food. I always use the example of cupcakes. I used to love them. I have one tattooed on me. Real talk, y'all. I don't like them anymore. I did not get food poisoning. I think I legit overate them in my 20s. (laughs) Like, it's so weird. It's so weird. So even something a human or animal really likes, not only, obviously, we're pairing it with something that is painful, but we're doing our best, but also things don't remain as reinforcing every time. So I always have caregivers pick two to three high value reinforcers. And if your animal doesn't feel well enough to eat, which can be very possible because in many contexts, they're not feeling well. And although the vet is being amazing and treating symptomatically, especially to start, they feel like shit. Uh, But also them not eating is data. They might not feel well. They may be really stressed, which you're doing your best, but that's it's helpful information. Um, So you can use other things. So something I do. Ideally, we're going to pair it with it in the moment, but in the context where the cat may not choose to engage or interact with anything during the injection, which I understand, you're going to instantly let go of them. And then at the end, it's a party. So something I commonly recommend is taking five treats, 
tossing them on the wall or onto the wood floor if you have a wood floor because the sound of the treats or kibble treats better or better uh hitting the wall or the floor is really reinforcing to a predator animal <laughs> um so why because they love the sound like their <laughs> cats are so Something instinctive like they're always thinking they're listening for that mouse okay. they're listening for so that's reinforcing but then also of course they may eat the treats that's amazing. um and let's say they don't eat the treats still helpful data because that's the other thing we get information each time the first time tabitha now what's the baseline tabitha right now um my cat actually may be actively hiding from me even when i'm not doing meds because they're generalizing that one experience to lots of things or your baseline might be my cat is I give the medications and me and Sarah were talking about a case before and the cat instantly runs away as soon as possible. But then what does that running away look like? Do they run away under a bed and three rooms away? How quickly do they return to baseline? Like an hour they come out and seek attention or are more themselves. That's what I mean. So with this using a party afterwards, it's also helpful data. Like four days in, Tabitha, they ran, but they stayed in the room. Seventh days in. Tabitha, they they jumped and chased the treats. Tenth day, they stayed in the room three feet from me versus on the other side of the room, and they ate the treats. So getting somewhere. Yeah. that's like amazing. Pro like, and caregivers may not identify how amazing that is, and that's where I help <laughs> um, because we're doing the best with what we can, and we're legit decreasing the stress each time because that animal is showing us. Yeah, and and that's without any additional training just when we do work with them we're utilizing gentle control and a considered approach and a touch gradient um and making the the area comfortable so if a cat is hiding under the bed ideally we're not going to pull them out I, I think we all know that um and we're gonna maybe lure them out play with them a little bit then give them ed mm -hmm. right um and i that's going to change and we may have to get more into that but these are some general tips because obviously we can offer way more individualized tips. Um, find an area your cat really likes. Like, is there a part, a, a elevated area that your cat already really likes, like a cat tree? Or, for example, when my cat needed acute meds, it was before I medication trained her. Yes, I know. Horrible of me. Um, I'm a trainer and I, it's, it's hard to do it when I get home. <laughs> um, but she needed meds. Um. And I was like, okay, what can I do in this moment to make this less shitty? Um, and I and she needed them because she felt like shit. So I was like, okay, she I feed my cats with puzzle toys every night and she's three legged. So I would prefer her not do this, but she jumps every night and takes a few kibble as I fill all the toys and then goes chases the toys when I put them down. So I was like, oh, this is an elevated place, which most cats prefer and most humans because you matter. And it can be really challenging for you to give an injection or a pill when you're bent over and not in a normal position if you have back issues. So not only are these like waist-like height areas good for you, but they are also good for the cat. So I was like, okay, she likes this area. I'm doing the best with what I can. So I utilize considered approach, which is approaching from the side. Um, and again, using that touch gradient. Being aware of where your cat's sensitive areas are. For my cat, she was having a dental issue on one side of her mouth. 
and I had to give her a syringe oral medication, I gave it on the other side. These little things, everybody, make a humongous difference. So, like, I approached her from the side. Uh, I did the touch gradient, right? And then I never do a full frontal approach. I She was too uncomfortable to eat treats throughout. And it was an oral syringe med. So, obviously, right? That's a little more. Sometimes I can put churu on the syringe. But so I give her the medications. And then we did the treat party on the counter because she's a three-legged cat. And I don't want her jumping that high uh <laughs> and i also added a non-slip surface to my counter because again a little thing that makes a big difference and then i'll be honest everyone i just did that and within two weeks my cat was waiting there before the meds were needed <laughs> so and i want to say i did all this training outside of that nope just every time i medicated her i tailored my approach to her i set her up for success i did what i could to decrease stress. And it made a, a really, really big difference. So I know I'm talking a lot, Sarah. No, go for it. I'm learning so much right now as well. <laughs> Sarah is amazing with FIP. I'm amazing with making vet care less stressful. Um, <laughs> we all have our amazing skill sets. Um, so yeah, I think that those are a few things right in the moment you can do. Identify an area that your cat may already like. Um, and then also give them good things there when you're not medicating, right? Um, and I think that's the other thing that's really important. When it comes to having a cat with FIP, you obviously love them. And we want to do things in the moment to decrease the stress with giving the injection. But also, we want to maintain a calm and supportive environment outside of that interaction. So it's what I say in animal welfare all the time. I'm like, I understand you have a ISO room, maybe ringworm or whatever, and I was like, in a perfect world, every animal would be getting enrichment because real talk, it's a need, but baby steps. Um, yeah. So I, I, something I, when I'm talking to shelters, one of the first things I say is I triage medicine, like I triage behavior and you, we need, if we're triaging, number one are these ISO cats, which is something you see too, right? Those, yeah. those cats who've been treated for FIP, that's wonderful that they're thriving physically-ish, but emotionally- right we see some severe regression. So there are things where I was like, hey, the only interaction that those cats, because some of you may be also working in a rescue situation where you have these cats and the only interactions they're getting with humans are not positive. They're somewhat painful, not maliciously, but real talk, which is hap which happens when these cats are an ISO. So I'm like, yeah. do a targeting, a clicker training session. It takes you one minute. Give them an enrichment activity made out of like toilet paper rolls cut into yeah, rings. Yeah. Because obviously you're not going to uh, give them a toy and then give it to a different cat. But there's tons of DIY free. So if you have a cat in your home, I think it's really important to, of course, provide enrichment and do things they really enjoy. But I think we need to definitely create some sort of structure, whether obviously they have a feeding structure. But let's let's hey, every a.m. and p.m. between the same two hours, you get an enrichment activity and enrichment can be things that they enjoy. So that might be laying near you because your cat may not enjoy laying on you. So the first part is identifying what they like. Um, <laughs> the PM one might be giving them a puzzle toy or doing a 20 minute one play session, but we're providing them with some structure and predictability and positive human interactions outside of just being fed and getting injections. And as you can imagine, that oh, helps. Life. That would be terrible. Right. That <laughs> helps them tolerate 
and return to baseline quicker when when we do have to do things and when they're not feeling well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think I think there's so many things you can do. Um, but I think my biggest takeaways is having everything ready prior to starting, just right in the moment. Um, having an injection drawn up um with a new needle. If you have a helper, which ideally you do. So a lot of the caregivers I work with, one of the first things we do is we get a stuffed cat and we practice handling. And I help them. I tell them, and you have to, this is how I teach veterinary professionals as well. I would be a horrible teacher if I was like, hey, handling is a skill and we were only taught to scruff. I'm going (laughs) to ask you to handle a really fearful animal. Go. That's bad teaching. I need to start in a place where I'm teaching you a new technique. And I need you to know where to place your hands and body and feel more confident with that handling. So then when we move it to a relaxed cat or a fearful cat or your own cat where we're all messes, even if we are veterinary professionals. Yeah. Um, Because I remember I've cried giving my own cats sub Q fluids before. I've this is a safe space. I've cried giving my cat an injection when he gave me multiple start button behaviors and I still cried. So it's hard, everybody. And that's another thing, you know, there's a lot of stress we have. So for you, maybe taking a deep breath. I wouldn't advise taking a shot, but taking a deep breath (laughs) Um, just before to kind of check yourself, because this is hard. Like, again, we just said we are professionals and we cried giving our animal, which probably are physiological changes, things that we could not control. It probably did not help, but we couldn't control them there are physical your stress so I think taking a deep breath but also I remember this caregiver was working with her partner and they were they got me a baseline video of what the injection looks like um and then we start I had them start with hey right away you could do these things to make it less stressful in because we're gonna do that anyways but like right away do these things and then I literally worked with her and her partner virtually and we practiced we made it fun um, sometimes I'll have the caregiver like practice holding the partner. You can have fun with it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, and how much more comp cause her partner was not a veterinary professional and how much more confident and comfortable he felt holding. Cause she was giving the injections and he was holding. So also practicing that handling, even though you're going to have to do it that day, practicing outside of that, just like with the syringe. So you feel more comfortable. Allowing the animal to maintain their chosen position, ideally, and that means I'm, we're not flipping them laterally, scruffing, stretching, all that stuff that unfortunately many of us were taught in vet med. When touching, we're going to use that touch gradient. We're going to pair it with something your animal enjoys. And again, that may be a play session after. And that play session, I'm not just saying like, here's a toy you bought from PetSmart that's too short. I'm talking about a good toy that's sim- like the bird. What's some of your favorite uh, toys? You probably have tons. I, I put her on the spot. Have any cats anymore? Oh, I know, but you've had cats, love bug. I know, but like it's been eight years. Oh, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Seven, seven and a half years. Oh my yeah. gosh, me and I know. Are old. I'm like, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. So yeah, I like there's, there's one so many good toys out now. Oh no, it's so much better. Oh, um, so many great. Like toys. there's a kitty lizard on Etsy. I should email the person that creates them because I promote her stuff all the time. Uh, it's amazing. It moves like prey without the caregiver knowing how to move the toy. And I mean that in the kindest way. There's a skill to playing. Um, Ooh, wow. 
And then also, for example, I'm going to get tissue paper. Oh, I will send you that link. I'll get (laughs) tissue paper and place after the injection, I'll place the toy under the tissue. Like we need to make it more simulating and exciting. And again, the cat may not engage with it and that's okay. But these are young cats too. They're going to want to play. Well, exactly. Not all FIP cats, but a majority of FIP cats are young. Yeah, that's true. And in most contexts, when we're doing, when we start with some of these things, I also use topical lidocaine um, prior to giving. Again, I can go on and on. I have hundreds of tips of things that any injection, uh, but an FIP injection, these are things that apply topical lidocaine, you know, in a home setting, you could do 10 to 20 minutes, but in everyone has their own preferences. I utilize it a lot. I'm happy with five minutes, but in a home setting. I've had IVs place and it's amazing. Oh, like, that's a good point. When they, use it, when they use it on people, like I am. They've so never upset. used it on me. Oh, sorry. Now I'm oh, upset. Oh my God. It like changes everything. Like it, like I, I see a needle and I lose my mind. I freak out. This just made it like literally I couldn't feel it. It was awesome. Yeah. I think thinking about what can you do in the environment to make it less stressful. Um. So for example, let's say. You're in a shelter and the cat is in a cage. If the cat is experiencing signs of fear and stress, I'm going to do it there. I'm not going to, even if the cat isn't, I'm not going to take them to a treatment area where there's like holy amounts of sounds okay. <laughs> um, and dogs and other things, right? If you have a dog at home, my dog is going to get like, little things, make a big, di- my dog is going to get a frozen Kong away from my cat to help me center myself. And so if there's a, a dog coming up to check things out because we're using play and treats, that's going even if that cat loves that dog, when you are feeling fear or stress, which even though we're doing all we can, these things hurt, everything is more intense. Every stimuli is which is why we block visual stimuli with towels, which is why we use classical music. Th- that's where these things come from. So thinking ahead of time, like setting up the environment. My dog loves work. You're going to go out for potty or daddy's going to take you for a walk. <laughs> um, just things like that. Yeah. Having everything ready, allowing them to maintain their position, using that touch gradient. Um, what if they're sleeping? Like what if they're laying there sleeping? I, okay. For context, what right? Am I asking? I don't know. So if they're laying there sleep, I am not a fan of the whole, like, we're going to do it really quick while they're sleeping for reasons that you can probably guess. Of course. Yeah. But I think a lot of our brains go to, Oh, they're at rest. Let me do it really quick. No. Um, now, if if like, let's say they're resting. Um, also, do it someone on their schedule. We all have schedules, even when we don't create that structure for our cats, which it's even better when we do. Um, but you may notice your cat likes to nap in this sunbeam from this time to this time. And you can also use sunbeams. Sorry, I've gotten creative, y'all. I've purposely given injections in a sunbeam in someone's house. Uh, and have done that repeatedly when we, every state is different. Some of us don't have as much sun, but, um, so yeah, I think with them sleeping, I wouldn't wake them up. I would instead, if again, if it's their schedule, like if your cat has a lot of cats have more energy at dusk, Mm -hmm. uh, so I may not do it at that time. If that's their zoomy time, I might give them an enrichment activity 15 to 20 minutes before that. And then we do it after that. Right. Like, hey, we know you have extra excitement and zoomies here. I should give you an appropriate outlet for that mm-hmm. 10 to 15 minutes before. Okay. And that also helps to prevent connection, connection seeking. I don't use the word attention seeking connection seeking behaviors that some caregivers may not may consider unwanted behaviors. 
uh, we could just nip it in the bud by being proactive. But like you're like, my cat sleeps at this time. My cat has a lot of energy at this time. And you could figure out a time that works best for your cat within the same two to three hours. But if they are sleeping, you could wake them up. But if you're going to wake them up, I would like be moving a toy at a distance. I wouldn't like, I mean, not that any of us would poke them, but some of us would pick them up and I would prefer like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to toss a few treats or I'm going to start moving a toy. And if they wake up cool and if they start engaging cooler. And that's the other thing. Anytime you're working with your cat for an injection, reinforce them immediately for coming to you. Or even if you are going to them to start, give them a treat or play with them or they may like if they like verbal praise. I know a lot of caregivers feel like their cats do. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by that is if if you speak to your cat in a specific, specific tone and notice a decrease in stress, that means that animal enjoys that. Um, or touch. Some cats do find specific types of touch from their caregivers reinforcing. But you have to identify those things prior. So, yeah, giving them a treat no matter what or reinforcing them for you approaching them or when they approach you. Maybe even giving them a few treats. That's the other thing. Not just, oh, I can go on and on. I'm just ranting. Now. But <laughs> I'm so passionate about this. Also, not just even with a touch gradient. Hey, I have the cat. I'm going to do this in 30 seconds. Hey, yeah. I have the cat. Here's a treat. Here's a treat. Here's a treat. Now we're going to do this. Here's a treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they aren't, if they are more fearful and aren't open to eating, then I would probably sl- move it a little quicker. And maybe not do that, but I'm going to work towards that. Hey, you came over. That's sick. Treat. And also, it's not just you came over. Met. Uh, uh. It's. Yeah. Because I think we all have done that. Like where we go up to the cat and we give them the whole syringe of medication, like orally. Oh, and now I'm like, oh, my gosh, I should have petted the cat once or twice <laughs> and then given 0.5 mLs, one amount. And it's so much better. So much better. So I think. I gave tons of too many tips kind of off track, but there's a lot of things you can do. And those are just a few things you can do along with topical lidocaine, utilizing anxiety meds. Now, if you're going to be utilizing gabapentin, it's important that you are working with a veterinary, a veterinarian, but also that you are also doing these other things because yeah, yeah. You, you can't, you can't, I'm not saying that gabapentin isn't helpful, but sometimes I feel like we see uh that a pvp is on board and if you're still scruffing and stretching and forcing the cat and not utilizing any of these little things to make it less stressful it's not great it's it's not a magic thing and it's actually not helping just like i love an anti-anxiety as needed med but i'm also doing a lot of other things yeah it's there's i wish that a solo thing just existed that made everything better but it doesn't any i know sarah that was a lot of no, it was tricks. so helpful. It was, it was, I, I'm learning as well. I need you to send me your videos so I can send them to clients. Oh yeah. You know what? See this, you guys get to just hear me and Sarah's casual conversation. I know. I have a lot of videos and I would love to do that because you do see a lot more caregivers. And if they could start doing some of these things from the start, that'd be amazing. Not just FIP, but diabetes and chronic kidney disease. With oh, some yeah. fluids and like Darby Wheaton injections. So all of these videos, I would definitely send them a file with them. Like every client with their okay. go home. Page. I will see. I'm being motivated to create another resource. I love this teamwork. Love it. Um, so hopefully some of those tips help 
uh, I, I have tons of videos and resources going more and more into these tips where there's actual videos. And then, of course, I do offer individualized cooperative care training for FIP where we can even go more into it. But those are really helpful tips that with no veterinarian or animal training experience, you can apply and make things less stressful because it is. And also we recognize that it's really hard. And and it, I mean, it's hard for us to even talk about because we've worked with patients and clients and it's so challenging. What advice would you give to caregivers who are navigating the challenges of caring with a cat, uh, caring for a cat with FIP? I know. She's like, yes, I don't know. Like, it just sucks. Just, like, I can't top everything you said. Like, that's just impressive. That's just so much. But emotionally speaking, it's it's scary, you know, kind of like we were talking about before. You know, we don't have a good timeline of how this is going to play out yet. Yeah. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic these cats go on to live normal lives, but we're five years out from the first study. You know, those cats at, you know, involved in the first study at UC Davis, most of them are still alive and doing well. You know, some relapse, but we don't have the information if they're going to relapse in five, six, seven years yet. We just don't. And so that's scary. You know, I, it's, you know, it's, I can't imagine. I'm an anxious person, as we talked about. You know, knock on wood, my pets are fairly healthy, but I'm always worried something's going to happen. I can't imagine knowing that I have a cat that I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to relapse and what that's going to look like. And so I think you just have to take it one day at a time, you know, be thankful. And I know this is easier said than done, but, you know, a few years ago, we didn't have an option. We have so many more cats with FIP coming out of the woodwork. And it's not because FIP is more prevalent. It's because we're looking for it more because now we have an option. There's and, a lot of positive yeah. things that, and again, we talked about that in the first episode where I understand how frustrating it is, but also the amount of progress we've made in such a short yes. time and the amount of progress that there are awesome things that are on the horizon that we cannot share yet, but amazing progressions and yeah. advancements in treatment are happening. And that's the other thing I think, like you mentioned, it's not that it's more prevalent. People are more, they're identifying it more. Yeah. yeah. Cause we're which is also making more, bringing it more to awareness. So larger organizations are finally understanding the importance of support and resources for this. So they're yeah. investing in it so we can learn more about it. So I understand it could be really gut punching, but there is a lot of amazing progress happening. I hope so. That's the goal. And I think as far as with the caregivers you have worked with, because I think that's a really practical tip. Like, first off, being aware, we're not going to lie. I'm a very positive person. Everyone knows this on this podcast, but I'm also a very realistic person. I am not about toxic positivity. And I think sometimes things just suck. And yeah. taking it one day at a time is a, is a great approach. And then also, of course, ideally, you have a support system. Everyone's support systems look different. And this might be some of the resources we mentioned in the first episode. Um, this might be your best friend or your partner. But I think having that support system, it might be a therapist, which if you have, that's amazing. But I know I know that that's not accessible for everybody um, because I think that these are really important things that need to be talked about with 
close friends and family and or therapists, because I think talking through just letting it out and talking about it and being like, I love my cat so much, but this is so hard. Um, Interesting. The one thing I can say about the Facebook group, the FIP Global Cats, um, people can share their experience on there. And I, you know, I don't really write on there much because I, I don't have that much to say, but I'm always lurking. And I will say that there are people out there that'll say, hey, I'm scared. I'm experiencing this. I'm, you know, is this right to do to my cat? You know, they'll just they'll just post and they'll just chat back and forth. And it's actually a great resource in and of itself because everyone out there has either gone through it or is going through it. And there's kind of groups you move through. You know, one is like the active group. One is patients that have made it through and are in remission or have been cured. And it's just kind of for owners just to share their stories and and kind of vent. And I think that's also kind of helpful. Oh, definitely. And just recognizing that you're not alone. And then another thing that helps, in my experience, helps caregivers, but also helps me manage stress and emotional well-being during treating a cat with something like this is empowering that caregiver with information. Because obviously we're veterinary professionals, but I'll be honest, it breaks my heart. I received, uh, I'm going to cry again. I'm really tired, everybody. Uh, that, that's why I know that. See, being aware of your emotions is awesome. Um, I received, a uh, email from a behavior professional who has been following me for a bit. Very kind person said very nice things. And she said, I'm actually reaching out for you to help me talk with my, veterinary care team to because she's really struggling on having everybody be on the same page and um she's very emotionally inflated and and I am my heart just kind of sunk like obviously I talk about things like that a lot um yeah so I and I think a big part of how we can empower even as veterinary professionals things like this like Real talk, the more we know about something, and I understand we don't know as much, but there are a lot more resources. And as a caregiver, the more you know about FIP and what treatments are out there. And part of that is seeing other people's experiences and seeing their wins and also talking about the not wins, the things that suck. But learning more about FIP, because again, there's so many webinars and resources, you're going to feel more empowered and confident. So you, you're still going to feel helpless because it's challenging, but you're not going to feel clueless. And I know how that feels. And I do not, I need to know things. Yeah, uh, it, difference. it helps us handle things because we can advocate for ourselves. We can advocate for our patients um, or our, our cats, right? I, we can ask specific questions because we have more information. You may even be able to provide clearer information to your veterinary staff who is amazing because we need you, but you may not know how to word something you're seeing in a way that maybe there's a communication lack style or whatever it may be. So I think obviously having a support system, talking to other people, understanding you're not alone, understanding that this is shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> taking it, taking it one day at a time, also focusing on those wins. Like, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know what yes. I mean? Like, like, that's the other thing. Like, there's so many terminal diseases out there where it's like, this is forever and it's not going away. Like, not that diabetes is a death sentence by any means, but um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. The hope is that your cat gets through this, it's cured, and we don't have to do this ever again. 
Yeah. And you start to see those symptoms, right? All of those, those wins mean a lot. Like yeah. your cat's eating better or, or even again, just focusing on he oh, is that little positive reinforcement too. Oh, yeah. gone away. They're eating, they're more active. The fluid in their belly is going down. They're seeking attention. They're doing their baseline behaviors again, where they're, re- or, Hey, he got his injection an hour ago and now he's coming over and soliciting attention by leading into yep. my hand. And you're having this beautiful, we all know those beautiful moments we have every day for our cats with our cats that we may take for granted sometimes. But even if our cats aren't struggling with something medical and it may be just me, but like, I'll just look at my dog or my cat and I'll just be like, I love you. Like I'm so lucky. I'm like, you're going to live forever. But then I also, I have six super seniors. It's a bummer right now. Um, but I'm thankful for every, it's super fucking corny, but I, I know. No, I am too. I'm so thankful for every day I have with my animals. And I, it's, I think focusing on those little things, especially doing what we do, you know, it's like one of those days it just hits home. I think we have some, yeah, I think our, maybe that's probably why, because I'll just look at her or my dog's anxiety is so well managed and it's been managed for a very long time, but I still see that her face is always soft and loose. And I, some, probably once every six months, I, I just cry. Cause she used to have generalized anxiety and, um, I mean, she still does cause it's a diagnosis, right. but, right. um, it used to not be as managed and I'm just like, you're so much happier and it just brings, and it, again, it's been of years. So I think fo- also being like, which we all do, but yeah. maybe starting and doing whatever you need to do to get it out. Like some of us like to journal. I sound like a therapist now, but, um, <laughs> Some of us like to talk it out. Some of you may not be as comfortable with talking it out. So, right, I'm a big talker, but writing it out is so helpful. Just maybe even starting a journal and being like, this sucks or this was great. And I think just getting out those emotions in some context, whatever works best for you, is so such a powerful tool that you can all use to help. Because also we care about your emotional well-being and we do recognize how challenging this is. Yeah, those are great points. Any other last minute tips, Sarah? I don't think so. Gosh, I've learned so much from you tonight. It's crazy. <laughs> I've learned so much from you. We were chatting before this and we're like, we have to do some collab things. Because uh, I love that we're talking about FIP, but I no one's really talking about how to make them less stressful. And that's my jam. <laughs> and we, yeah, that's an untapped area that. I and think I think that would also is. help the patients, but also the humans yeah, be able to handle this emotionally better if they, instead of being like, we know this one way, we're going to keep doing it over and over again, giving them multiple tools and tailoring the care to their cat. Right. Exactly. It does. I think that that makes a, a really, a really big difference, but thank you so much for being here, Sarah. I get to see you this week at Midwest tomorrow. I know. I'm so excited. Um, thank you for everyone who is listening. Please don't hesitate. Definitely check out the first episode. We have so many resources on there. And then also for some more handling videos going more into what I was talking about throughout my tips, you can find tons of those things on my Instagram. I have a TikTok now. Yes, I do. And um, Facebook. I don't use TikTok. And back to our previous conversation. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, 
I'm I I've I've just accepted. I'm like I want to make education as accessible as possible, and I could do this in a fun way. And we're we're going with it. We're making it fun. Um. So thank you to everyone for listening, and thank you so much to you, Sarah, for being here and for everything that you do and everything you're going to be doing regarding FIP. I'm so excited. <laughs> me too. Thank you for having me again. in to Tales from a Vet Tech. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to check out the previous episode where we talked to Sarah more about FIP. And don't forget to subscribe for more fascinating discussions and awesome interviews.